In this episode, we talk about top-down approaches to working your way up the polyvagal ladder. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. We are licensed marriage and family therapists obsessed with learning about and applying the polyvagal theory. Welcome to episode 18 of the Polyvagal Podcast. Did that throw you off there, the little intro change? Yeah, you added. I didn't notice it before. Little rewording. I think the topic's got a lot going on for it. So we'll do our episode topic, which is top-down approaches to changing your state, announcements, and your homework assignment. And we would like to say that this episode might have some, maybe some more triggering elements in it, maybe. So make sure to put yourself first. We do try to keep every episode as safe as we can, but just by the nature of the topics that we're talking about, some stuff might come up for you. So if you need to take a break, take a walk, do some deep breathing, and extend your exhale, maybe do a little singing, make some eye contact with a safe person, get some water, do whatever you need to do, and come back when you're ready. All right, so what does top-down mean? Top-down means from the brain to the body. Last week, we talked about bottom-up which is, and outside-in. Bottom-up is you know regulating your breathing. That's a cue from your body to your brain that you're safe. Because when you're running away from a predator, you're not going to be breathing deeply or slowly or controlling your exhale. That only happens when you're safe. So it's just a, a way from the bottom-up to remind yourself, hey, I'm safe. Hey, brain, I'm safe. Top down is obviously the reverse. It's it's we're basically what what's going on in the brain with thoughts, beliefs, judgments, images. What kind of things can we put in there to tell our body, hey, we're okay, we're safe, let's slow everything down to a safe and social state. In episode, my God, I don't know what it was, my episode, um, early episode, I, I talked about the Vegas. That was pre-Mercedes. That was pre-Mercedes, yeah. The Dark Ages. The Dark Ages. <laughs> of the of the podcast. <laughs> the Dark Episodes. Episode 6 is the Vagal Break, yeah. Uh, my interview with Dr. Porges is episode 15. 15. And, he, and so he says the Vegas is a conduit. It's a it's kind of like a pipeline for more wires inside of it. I think he called it a wire, actually. But basically, it's I, I visualize it as a pipeline that has these wires going through it. And 80% of those, those wires, those fibers, are going from the body to the brain. So there's a whole lot of communication going upwards. And that's why the bottom-up approaches can be so effective. But that leaves 20% from brain to body. I remember you used a freeway analogy before. And that for whatever reason, that helped me. So there's five lanes on the freeway. Four of the lanes are going from... What is it? Bottom up from the body yep. to the brain. Four lanes traveling north. And one lane traveling south from the brain to the body. Yeah, it's a really easy way to do it. I, I forgot whose image that was. I stole that from somebody else. Um, either Deb Dana or Dr. Porges. So. I, you know, when I first started doing research, I was horrible at, at like keeping track of who said what. You like you inhaled that information. I remember you last year just going through books and videos and just laser focused. Exactly, and I had started off that, by yeah. citing by citing things, and I was like, "This is taking too long. I, this is eating away at my time to inhale more information." So I just stopped. But now I'm like, oh, "I don't know where I got that from." <laughs> Somewhere. It was either Doctor Portis or Deb Dana. I believe it was Doctor Portis. 
right, so that that's what top down means is is utilizing that twenty percent or so to tell your body that you're in a safe place and to kind of calm things down and bring it back to a safe and social uh, state. So the first thing that we would recommend is to come from a place of curiosity and not judgment. And I know the judgment piece is extremely common in people who have survived or are surviving traumas. And so I'm not, I'm not going to suggest it's as easy as just stop doing that and start doing this. Right. <laughs> I don't think it, I don't think it's that easy, but at least notice the judgments that you do have and start thinking about being curious about where you're at, what state you're in and not even that far, but just be curious about like, how does your body feel in the moment? How does your body feel in the chair that you're sitting in right now? How do your toes feel? You know, but that starts with curiosity. You can't, I don't think you could just jump into like, how's my body doing? You first have to be genuinely curious about that yeah, and to not come from a judgmental place. You know what this makes me think of? This just popped into my head right now, which is super helpful. Um, it makes me think of the, you know, like you see toddlers, like just really young children, and they just explore the entire world, just everything. They're poking and prodding and putting stuff in their mouth just all the time, everything, everywhere. But then later on, I'm thinking specifically of like a toddler kind of exploring a bug. Like, what is this little thing on the ground? And then a few years later, that same child will now be like afraid or, you know, oh, my God, a spider. You know, whereas before it was coming from a place of curiosity. But now all these judgments have been applied to this little creature that you see with eight legs. And it's no longer curiosity. It's fear. So kind of kind of coming at this when we're talking about the top down stuff coming at it as like a toddler would like just look at it poke it i like that it's like it's an innocent don't touch spiders my god don't don't do that horrifying things no let's but um (laughs) yeah there's like an innocence to to children to little kids yeah and a a genuine curiosity in wanting to learn without judgment they just want to learn about it they just want to figure it out yeah, yeah and experience it and that's it but for from a toddler, it's easy because they don't have as many of the judgmental filters in the way. But I'll, you know, someone who I don't want to say someone who's, who is anorexic. There's tons of judgment there. So them being curious is going to be an extreme challenge. I think there's tons of self judgment about their body. So being curious about their body is going to be a huge hurdle. But the job in that in that context is still to be curious. So I think everybody's hurdles will be difficult. In, in their own different ways, that's that's a good example of an especially hard one because being curious about your body and food when you're anorexic, where those two things are also the triggers for the anxiety and the control stuff. So I think that like the curiosity should probably start with something safe then. Safe enough. Telling someone who recently experienced like a sexual trauma to be curious about their body, it's not safe yet. And, you know, someone who has an eating disorder to be curious about their body might, they might, they may not be ready for that, but to be curious about how does this music sound? Like curiosity can come in a different, like safe way. Yeah. So maybe first being curious about an experience, music or the way my breathing is or the way the air feels outside or in this house, which is stifling. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. Peter Levine and I think a healing trauma. The I believe the first step of that he laid out was to just begin to notice little things like how does it how does 
your skin feel when um like in the shower and if, he he recommended like the massage different you know mm-hmm. settings, the for settings massage, on the you know, shower. shower head yeah yeah and then to experience on the outside just on your skin how does it feel but that has to first come from a place of curiosity and interest in in yourself and learning more about yourself so i think that's the first top down change to work towards is to notice the judgments that you have and to and to also notice that there is curiosity within you and to nurture and grow that piece of yourself. Yeah. Curiosity. But it, but again, I don't know if this is beating a dead horse, but again, going back to the idea that using curiosity when and where it feels safe. So your example right now of yeah. in the shower and feeling the water on your right. skin might still be triggering for, you know, whoever, some, some certain people. So if that like if that level of curiosity doesn't feel safe, then then move it to a safer place. And so maybe not in the shower, maybe the way the ground feels under my feet or if that's still too closely related to your body, then, you know, the color of the walls and, you know, the carpet. So the the top down will affect the bottom up. So it's starting top down and tapping into that. Because I, I know people who are listening, they're already in some sort of place of curiosity. They wouldn't be listening here if they if they weren't in somewhat curious about what's going on with them and, and, and taking the next step, right? So there's some level of curiosity happening. So just to notice that, hold on to that, give it an image. Like for me, it's a plant that I can like water, you know, and, and watering the plant is me growing my curiosity about, you know, what's going on inside of me. So give it an image. That's another top-down approach. Give it an image. Rather than analyzing and questioning, just give it an image, what makes sense to you, and that's going to be your own image, or a feeling or a texture just that you can put in your head, and then how do you nurture that image or texture or whatever. Be curious, not judgmental as much as you can. Um, Judgments, all they do is keep you in your state. So a judgment like, I'm worthless, is just reinforcing the state of being in a shutdown. And those judgments, they do come from the state, of course, Um, and and when the state changes, the judgments will change. But if we can't wait for the physical state to change, we can start with the bot, the top down. So just the thoughts of like, what else, what other thought can you put in your head besides I'm worthless? Or if, if the thought is like, it's my fault or why didn't I do something about that? That's a judgment. That's a, or a belief. The, these, these stories, these judgments, these beliefs, all they do is reinforce the state that you're in. And they come from the state itself. And I think... Something that's a little bit paradoxical that I you've said before and I want to just mention again right now is when we're saying be curious and don't judge, it is natural to still be judgmental of yourself, especially if that's been your pattern and your habit for so long. So if you notice a judgmental thought, don't then judge the judgment. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to be funny, but it is kind of this paradoxical thing where it's like, okay, well, now I'm being judgmental and that's not okay. Da, 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 da. No, no, no. Like, if you're judgmental, okay, it happened. You know, let's shift back into curiosity and just let it sit there. Don't, don't like overanalyze the judgment because now you're judging the judgment and that's a sticky situation. Well, I think what you're talking about is observing versus evaluating. That was a beautiful segue, Justin Sinceri. Isn't that good? Wasn't that, that was good? really good. Yeah, observe um versus evaluate like last last episode i mentioned that i don't care for the what was it the breathing the five seven eight breathing mm-hmm. yeah breathe in the, for five hold it for seven number, yeah yeah because that puts me in the state of evaluation 
Am I counting right? Are these seconds mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Am I holding my breath correctly? I don't like that. Yeah. So for me, it's better for me to just observe how my body naturally wants to breathe and then to extend the exhale. I like that method. But that comes from a place of, of knowing that evaluation is a, is a cue of danger when you're being evaluated. That is a cue of danger from therapists or teachers or even internally when you're evaluating, that's a cue of danger. We all do that. We all do it. So notice that, set it aside for a moment, and then bring that observational part of you that wants to just observe and notice what's going on. And that's a real, um, that's a, oh, what's the word here? That's a characteristic of, of meditation. And I know that's what we're talking about next, but just to observe and notice it, it's, I think I mentioned in our last episode, I took a Zen Buddhism course in college. And that was one of the phrases that my professor just used incessantly. Just notice it, just observe it. And, and that's it. Like, that's it. And then let it go. I think that's what the instruction was. Notice it and let it go. So that's a very meditative uh, process. Meditation is something that can help with noticing the thoughts that are coming in and out of your mind. Um, and so we have some meditation apps just to, just to mention. Wouldn't it be cool <laughs> if they sponsored us? <laughs> they don't. That would be, yeah. <laughs> they don't. We're just trying to help our, our peeps out. So, yeah. Um, so you can find these on, um, the Apple App Store and what is it called? Is it Google Play for the Android users? I think so. I think so. Yeah. Um, you can probably find these on, on your App Store. So the first one is called Headspace. The second one is called Calm, C-A-L-M. Aura, A-U-R-A. I don't know if I'm, I just want to be clear. The last one is Meditation Studio. I have a couple of these, but I, I'm not going to lie. I don't, I haven't really used them very much. I've just kind of poked around and explored a little bit, but I feel like meditation is like riding a bike. Like once you've done it, like I don't, I don't feel like I've forgotten it. And there are times that like, I'll just, I'll sit and I'll just do it. And it just happens. It was a whole semester of, of literally my professor had us meditate every single class. It was like a Tuesday, Thursday class. So twice a week I was meditating. And then our final project was to go to an actual, like a boot, was it a Buddhist temple? Something like that. And we had to meditate for um, the standard amount of time is 40 minutes. And it was crazy. I sat there and I was meditating. It felt like maybe five minutes had passed. And then they rang the bell. I'm like, there's no way that was 40 minutes. It was pretty awesome. I think I aced that class. All of those apps, just so everyone knows, um, they have like a free trial period. And then there's a monthly or yearly fee. When you when you said to notice it and let it, basically leave let it go like to notice mm-hmm. yeah notice like i have a hard time with that and I, I know people listening and being like yeah it's not that easy and it's it's, it's not. not it's not that easy what helps for me is to when i notice these things coming in and i, I am in, like trying to meditate or, or i am meditating thoughts pop into my head i give them a visual that that works for me really well so i, I give the words i make them literal visual words that i can like look at or i'll make them into an object or whatever and then to let them go, I literally watch them, you know, go from one side of my brain, my visual brain space that I'm making up in my head from like left to right and just leaving mm-hmm. my visual, you know, yeah. imagination. So that that works for me. Otherwise, like when a thought pops in your head, it's not super easy just to be like, all right, bye. It's not. It's not. And again, I'm I'm referring to this class I took in college just because that's my experience. But we um, it was a whole, you know, it was a what, three months worth of 
of the class. And so we started off really small. I think we started off with like a two minute meditation. And, and my professor had said, you know, this is a difficult thing to learn to do. And he gave us a visual too, that we could use, which was, I, I think it was something like, you know, if a thought, if a thought comes into your head and you're supposed to let it go, imagine the thought being like a butterfly and it just comes and it lands on your shoulder or your knee or whatever. And then you just watch it like fly back away. And so theoretically, you know, that helps. And, and it helped me. It did help me because I would be like, oh, you know, what am I having for dinner tonight? When am I going to see my boyfriend? Like, wait, you know, I'm meditating. That's not, you know, so I'd imagine the butterfly coming in and flying away. And there you go. Yeah. And you, you start small. If, if anyone out there is thinking about trying meditation, start with a couple minutes. And then, I mean, we've got the meditation apps and the meditation yeah. um, stuff on YouTube, but just start with a couple minutes and then work your way up. And that's the easy stuff. Let's get, let's get to the meaty let's stuff get, here. Yeah. Mercedes. Top down approaches. Top down. <sighs> All right. The next one that we would recommend. I know it's it's not that easy. Yeah, we gotta take a deep breath here. Yeah. It's not this easy, but where we want to eventually end up is to accept where you are actually at. Yes. Not the state that you want to be in, but what state are you actually in already? That like where are you at already? I'm getting, you know, I get messages and comments from people saying, well, how do I fix it? And how do I get to where the next step? And there's a, there's a hurry. There's a, and I, of course, like, of course people want to get to a better place. I get that. Mm-hmm. But you, I don't think you can't just jump there. You, it, yeah. this first requires okay. that you know where you're actually at, not where you want to be, but where you're actually at. And that's, I think when you can make that switch in your head, when you can, somehow turn off the switch of like, I want, I, I want to be in a safe social state immediately. Like, what's the thing I have to do? What move do I have to make with my body? And I've gotten people asking like, well, what's some exercises I can do? And that comes from a place of like, I want to get better. And of course you do, I know, I know you want to get better, but first, the first thing is, well, where are we at right now? Yeah. That has to be where you start is where are you at right now? This step requires kind of being okay with like, you're not where you want to be. Being okay with not being okay. In a way, yeah, but you are okay. Like the defensive state is, it's natural. It's it's not. But it feels uncomfortable. Like it feels, you know, it feels unsafe. So in that way, right? Like I'm not okay. Like if I'm having an anxiety right, attack, gotcha, panic gotcha. attack, yeah. And I think that that's what I'm thinking of actually is is the whole discussion we had in our last episode of of the whole panic attack thing. It's it does feel kind of backwards. It does sound kind of opposite of where you're trying to get, but to to like get out of the panic attack you have to experience the panic attack and i'm using that as as a representation for what we're talking about so it's not specifically only ever a panic attack but what the state that you're in to get out of it you have to first accept that you're in it because the longer it's it's like you're actively fighting the whole time like you know i want to get out of the box i want to get out of the box but the more that you fight the box the more that you're just trapped by the box you have to kind of accept I'm in this box. It is where I am. And then magically the box will just fall away. You can let it go. <laughs> the visual in my head is a uh, quicksand. This, this, oh, yeah. Like, like in cartoons. like you Yeah, know, you when get, you stop struggling. Well, when you stop struggling, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't get worse. Right. And the, the parallel here is if you're in a defensive state and you're trying to rush your way out of it or tell yourself with these judgments of like, why can't I get to the place where... I see other people. When you're fighting against the quicksand, really, 
you're just making yourself stay in it and even go down further probably that's a beautiful uh, a beautiful example yeah quicksand is just beautiful analogy yeah. <laughs> it's glittery quicksand why why that you know that what's weird that makes it scarier for me <laughs> isn't that weird no I, I won't judge your i will not judge your experience why does the why does the quicksand have glitter in it first and second it's not scary no that makes it more scary <laughs> that's my first concern second is the glitter going to get into my eye because my mom says <laughs> that if glitter gets in your eyes let's get back on track here. let's get back on track that is, I think is a really good visualization and a good parallel that you're wrestling with your state and you're just getting you're getting pulled down further into it. Yeah, it's really it's like solidifying it. You know, and and according to, to Looney Tunes, if you're stuck in quicksand, the first thing you do is stop fighting it. Or the Princess Bride. Do you remember the Princess Bride? Oh, there you go. Okay, yeah, yeah. there you go. Stop but fighting yeah, it. It's and it's realize a where you're analogy. At. Yeah, because as soon as you stop fighting it. Like you said, it's not necessarily going to get better. Like you're not going to magically just rise out of the quicksand, but it's not going to get any worse. And as soon as you can accept your state, then sticking with the quicksand analogy, then you can kind of figure out how to get yourself out. Now I've stopped struggling against it. Maybe there's a branch I can grab. Maybe there's someone walking by who can help me out, you know. Well, I think if you you notice that you're in a shutdown state, and you can be like, okay, that's where I'm at. I'll just be, you know, super honest with myself. I am, I am in this shutdown state, and I'm not going to be able to rush my way out of it by tomorrow. And if you come from that perspective, then you'll be able to see that when I think that I'm worthless, that's a reflection of my shutdown state. It's not actually what I think about myself. It's not actually a reflection of reality. But like, once you recognize your state, then you can see how your state affects your thoughts. You know what I mean? So now that thought is not a. Now you can hopefully let go of some of the blame there or the judgment. And you can realize that this thought is in my head because I'm in a shutdown state. That's, I think that's the benefit of, of finding out where you're actually at is it will normalize some of the experiences that you're having. And also where am I at and how do I cope with that? So, you know, drinking might be a way to to cope and don't, please don't do that. But drinking rather than blaming the drinking and judging yourself for the drinking, it is what it is. It doesn't have to be, you know, the next time. But for now, it is what it is. And the drinking is caused by whatever state you're in. And drinking can serve different functions for different people. But, um, you know, usually it's to numb the pain, take away the pain. But I don't know if that's shut down or whatever for different people. If you can recognize or get close to what state you're in and then see how you deal with that, Hopefully what you'll be able to see then is not, you don't drink because you're a loser. You drink because that's the best way you have to cope with the state that you're in. So hopefully that will take away some of the judgment and, and more normalize that you really are doing the best that you can. I, I fully believe about every person I've met with that they are doing the best they can with the state that they're in. I think in a weird way, in a weird way, that makes perfect sense because it's it's exactly what we've been saying. If If you're fighting against that state, no, I'm not in shutdown, no, I'm not in shutdown, no, I'm not in shutdown state, then how can you admit to yourself, well, the reason that I'm feeling worthless is because I'm in shutdown state. You can't get there until you say to yourself, I am in shutdown state. And so when I say that I'm worthless, it's because I'm in shutdown state. The more that you're fighting against it and saying, no, I'm not here. No, I'm not here. I want to be safe and social. Let's get you, let's recognize where you're at. In the therapy, we meet the clients where they're at. That's one of our little, you know, phrases like yeah. we, we meet them where they're at. And that's what that means is 
where are you at? That's where we're starting. That's it. I, I can't, I, I, I can't rush you along. This is where we're at. This is just it. This is what, this is our, our, uh, where we have to, we have to begin. So the next top down approach, there's a lot, a lot of this is kind of acceptance. And I know it's not as easy as just accepting. I know it's not a light switch, but this is kind of where we need to work towards, I believe. So the first one was accept where you're at. And the second one is to accept that you are normal. That the state that you're in is, this is all like physiological stuff. This is physiological stuff in response to what you have been through, which is real. This is all like you, like you went through something that caused a defensive state within you. That's what mammals do. That's It's normal to go into a defensive state based on neuroceptions of danger or life threat. That is normal. So you're not weird. You're not different. You're not weak. You're not, um, none of that stuff. You're normal. And you went through something that triggered a neuroception of life threat. That's where we, I really think we have to accept that, that, that you are normal. And then on, now on top of that, what happens is when we go into these defensive states, that stories get piled onto these defensive states. So judgments, beliefs, self-blame, these are not there in your head because you're defective. These are there in your head because you are in a defensive state. And maybe you're stuck there. Maybe you've been there for decades. But these thoughts don't exist on their own. They don't, they're not just there. They're a reflection of the state that you're in. They're there because of the state that you're in. And as you work your way up the ladder, which is possible. That's another thing is another little, little change to make in your head is that this stuff is possible. You can get better. There is hope there. But as you work your way up the ladder, your thoughts will change along with it. The belief that you're worthless, because, which is due to being in a shutdown state, when you work your way up to uh, sympathetic arousal, and the first stop there is fight mode, when you get to that aggressive place, you're not going to be thinking you're worthless anymore, I don't think. You may be thinking that you are uh, you can tackle anything, that you're powerful, or you might, might be more of an angry thing. You might be more in a state where you're blaming somebody else. Your thoughts will change based on your state. And these changes are normal, and they can be scary, but these changes, the state that you're in, the defensive state, the, the thoughts and judgment that judgments that come along with it, even the shame, even the self-blame, these are normal pieces of the state that you're in. So we, Mercedes and I really would encourage you to accept that you're normal. You're a mammal. You're a human being. You are normal. Absolutely. What I've been thinking about as you've been talking is that the piece about us being mammals, humans are mammals, but we are advanced mammals. And I think that's the tricky part because if we were, I don't know, if we were a zebra in Africa getting chased down by a lion, it would be completely normal. Again, there's that word normal. It would be completely normal that now my heart, my heartbeat is is racing and I'm, I'm breathing heavily and I'm trying, you know, I'm hypersensitive to all the noises and I'm looking around everywhere. That would be totally normal. But because of the fact that we're humans and we're so evolved, you know, the dangers that we face now aren't quite so obvious and they're not so um what's the word i'm looking for here like well zebras don't deal with you know bullying on social media right but see and that's exactly my point is that okay bullying on social media i'm not getting eaten alive so the dangers are different so getting eaten alive by a lion yes obviously very dangerous getting bullied on social media isn't the same kind of danger but for you in that moment the way that all of the factors combined in that moment in time made it so that your you your body had a neuroception of danger and now there was this physiological response and it's absolutely normal 
I, I think that part of accepting that you are normal is the thought. This is a new, maybe a new thought that, that we can give to you is that anybody in your situation probably would have responded the same way. When I hear my clients, whether they be adults or kids or whatever, when I hear the stuff that they go through, my thought is like, I would too. My God, if I survived what you survived. Absolutely. But again, it's like every single zebra on on the whatever, what's it called? The Sahara is like, that's a desert. Every single zebra <laughs> in Africa is going to run from the lion. Every single one of them. And and again, it's different for us because we're not being chased for like we're not running for our lives. But every single person in that situation that you were in specifically at your age in that moment with all of your history would have responded in the exact same way. It is super normal. No matter like if, if you're being assaulted in some way, everybody is going to go into a defensive state, some type of defensive state. We, I would do the same thing. If I was cornered in an alley, I would go into a defensive state. Because it's normal. That's just what we do. So hopefully you can take that thought on if you're not already thinking that. Put that one in, store that one away. And those kind of thoughts, when you realize like that you're normal and that anybody would do the same thing, those kind of things can help bring a level of validation, normalization, and hopefully help you, you know, from the top down to kind of calm the body down. The next one that I think we would invite you to accept or begin the process of accepting can, is that can we i'm sorry can i yeah. say something else to that point something that was going through my mind as you were talking justin is that if if in that moment and i'm thinking more of things like childhood traumas but if in that moment of of danger if in that moment a safe person had said to you it's okay what you're what you're ha- what's going on with you right now what you're going through is absolutely fine if there was validation in that moment then probably the the neuroception would have like we would have been able to a person would have been able to move back through the states back up into a safe and social place and i think a big part of it and this isn't what our topic is today but i want to just validate that a big part of why i think people get stuck in certain states is because they went through a trauma and in that moment it was invalidated that's where the judgments begin you're crazy Absolutely. no it didn't happen why are you reacting this way you know, and in that moment, people have been through worse. Right, right. Why are you crying? Just all of these things. So if in that moment you had had validation and you had felt accepted and normalized and were able to move through the danger in a safe way, then you wouldn't be stuck. But you're stuck because that didn't happen in that moment. And so the idea that I think working through it now with therapy or meditation or however you want to work through it is feeling the feeling. And this goes back to accepting the state that mm-hmm. you're in feeling the feeling and feeling what it feels like to move through it safely. That's why all of this stuff piles on top of not piles, but like all of the points that we're making kind of build on top of each other because you have to accept the state you're in to be able to move through it safely, to be able to accept that you're normal. Yeah, absolutely. Accept where you're at. And to allow the process to unfold, to, to allow those sensations to come up, but it has to be in a safe environment with with a mm-hmm. safe person. So therapy mm-hmm. is a, can be an ideal place, but as we know, coming up, bad therapy. Bad series, therapy. Not always, unfortunately, but um, yes. it should be the a perfect, really perfect place. It, theoretically. To, to- <laughs> so we've, I just have to say, I'm so horrified by, we've already been getting some, some submissions in and like, 
Bad, no, yeah. bad. Th- I'm sorry. I know this is way off topic, but it's okay. Therapy is where it should happen. Therapists should be safe people. Should be. All of you but, therapists you know, that are not safe people, I'm I'm looking at you, man. That's <laughs> not okay. It's not. We'll save it. I'm save angry. it. We, we, I know. We have to I know. Sa- I know. We have to save it. <sighs> okay. So yeah, therapy is an ideal place to be a safe person. But I think yoga, even though you're not talking about what happened. Safe people, calm environment, working in the body, noticing what's going on. Yes. Meditation can be a great place. Someone had uh, messaged me saying that I think it was a med- it was either meditation or yoga, but in these classes, when people are noticing what's going on inside of them in stillness, that it's very common for them to start crying. And he, I, I had no idea, but he's like, yeah, that that's why that must be why this is happening. That people will spontaneously start to cry as they allow themselves in these safe places to be still and notice what's happening inside of them. So the last thing we left off on here was that anyone in a situation probably would have responded the same way. It might look a little bit different, but they would have gone to a different defensive state. The next thing to accept is that everyone is different, which which seems the opposite, but um, we all, even though we all would respond in a, in a defensive state, what that looks like person to person is going to be different. And this is not an issue of one person being weak, or than the, you know, weaker than the next person. This is simply an issue of we each have different backgrounds and cultures and genetics, and I can't measure that. But exactly. All these different things come into play. We, we each have different health, you know, healthy or unhealthy attachments to uh, parents or caregivers. Something horrible may have happened that day, and then something even worse happens later in the day, and that's like you're in a, you may you may be more prone to going into shutdown. There, there's so many pieces that come into play that everyone does react differently to these traumatic events, but we all will go to a defensive place. It's not a. It's not an issue of weakness at all. Right. I think a good example, if if people want to conceptualize this, a good example is thinking of siblings. Siblings are theoretically not always, and I recognize that, but siblings are theoretically raised in the same environment by the same people, and will often turn out really different. And I'm sorry to my sister. I don't think she's listening, but <laughs> thinking of my sister, we had the same. Same parents grew up in the same household, had the same dogs and the same food and the same, you know, school and everything. And and the way that we react to things is really different. And I think people can relate to that where even though theoretically we had the same experience, we didn't. And I think, Justin, you make a good point. There's such minor little things. Maybe the day that the traumatizing event happened, it was because it was like, Someone else had called me a name at school and then another kid bullied me at school and then I got a bad grade on a test. And then on top of that, this other thing happened. And, you know, those are probably terrible examples. But <laughs> but the point is, like, everybody's personal experience moment to moment is different from everybody else's. If someone had your exact history and your exact background, yeah, right, they, would, right. they would react exactly the same. But we don't we don't have the exact same thing. Even people who are raised in in the same household are very yeah. different from each other. So that's the reality of the situation. Those are the facts, right? Mm-hmm. But what happens is that, and I know siblings, they will compare themselves to the other one. Like we have the same upbringing, but they ended up this way and I ended up worse off. Right. I may, I must be defective. Like, no, no. Everyone, Even though you have the same upbringing, you each have different friends. You have different levels of safety at school. You have different teachers. You have, there's so many things that could, that could go differently. But the no one's born the same way. Everyone is genetically different as well. My brothers and I have very different personalities, raised the same way, but different person. Like it's just it's not a it's not an issue of weaknesses. 
I think that's the point here. That everyone's different. We will respond in defensive states, but what that looks like is going to be different person to person. You know, the intensity that we feel is going to be different. How long we stay stuck in a defensive state, that could be different. So comparing yourself to other people will only serve to keep you in your state. It's only going to serve to perpetuate the stories that you have in your head and to keep you stuck longer. So, and of course, you want to move forward and you want to get out of your state. So part of that is recognizing the stories that you have in your head. And one of those stories might be, I'm somehow defective. I'm different than this person. I should have done this. I should have not done that. Those stories are keeping you stuck in your state. You're normal and everyone's different. So that's two key things that I want to pass on to you. Next one is to accept. And again, another acceptance here. So accept that you did the best that you could. Whatever happened or was happening multiple times or is happening, I don't know. Accept that you did or are doing the best that you possibly can. I believe that about every single client I've ever met with. This is a big one for me because it's kind of like what we were just saying right now. But it in that moment, you did the best you could. At, at 10.49 a.m. on Tuesday, October 16th, at this precise moment, you did the best that you could with the skill set that you had available at that time. And I think this is a really big one because so many people have traumas that that they experienced in childhood. And a five-year-old does not have the same skill set as a 20-year-old who does not have the same skill set as a 45-year-old. It's it's just our reality. And so to blame yourself and to and to have guilt over this and to feel shame over something that happened when you were five years old and had no control over your life, really, it's it doesn't make any sense. So no. you you did the best that you could in that moment with the skill set that you had at that at that time. Right. And I think people are going to listen to this and be like, "Well, I could have done this and I could have done that." Looking back, yeah, hindsight's twenty twenty. Absolutely. And, and and of course, with a more clear mind and thinking more rationally, maybe it's easy to put those thoughts in. But no, if if you shut down, your body felt your body detected that you were about to die. That was completely out of your control. It was not a rational choice. It's not like you chose to do that. Your body, I think, miraculously did that. It's it's a survival mechanism. It's not it's not because you're weak. It's because your body took care of you and, and helped you to survive that moment or those moments. Even the dissociative part, like dissociating during those moments, your body kept you from remembering what happened long enough to kind of get out of the situation afterwards. That's what that's the function of dissociation. That's what it's there for. To to lose memory. Your body numbed you. That's amazing. Yeah. That's really a, a different way of looking at it. It's a new thought that I want that we want to give is that you did the best you could. It wasn't a rational choice situation. It was a completely irrational, abnormal, unsafe situation. So it wasn't an issue of thinking things out, making a plan. Like that's not the way, that's just not, that's not it. You you did the best you could. I, I fully believe that. Another way of thinking about it, and this is something that I've done with clients that I've worked with is, okay, you should have done whatever, X, Y, Z, right? If if you had thought of it in that moment, wouldn't you have done it? And usually clients will say, well, yeah, of course I would have. Well, okay then. So you didn't think about it. And that's that's what we're talking about. In that moment. They couldn't have. But with they couldn't the skill set. Right. If, but if they could have, would they have? Oh, right, right. Yeah. Right. Of course. Right. But they couldn't have. Yeah. In, in that moment, they couldn't have. So, so there's no, there's no, there's no meaning in saying, I should have done this. I should have done that. 
we all should have done a lot of stuff. But could you have in that moment? No. Because if you could have, you would have. Uh, absolutely. No one wants to like go through that. No one wants right. to no one shut down. Of course that. not. No. No. But the thoughts of I should have done this, I should have done that. Those thoughts are there because of the state that you're in. When we're in more of a shutdown state, we're going to do a lot of blame, self-blame, a lot of judgment, a lot of shame. And I talk about shame, I think, in episode seven, I want to say. And we go into, I go into in-depth as to why that's there. Shame has a function. But what happens with episode five, thank you. What happens, though, is that the shame, which has, a, as Peter Levine says, a biological function, it's there for a reason to help us change behavior on a social level. But what happens is we go when we go into the when you survive these abusive situations, that natural shame function is exploited and it's um, magnified way beyond what's there for. And the shame that we feel afterwards, it really isn't our shame. It's the person who did it to us that they they have their own shame and they're really inflicting it upon somebody else. So even the shame that you feel, which is real, it's there and it there's a. It's not really yours though. So that's a whole, I guess, another thought is that it comes from the person who inflicted it upon you. If that event hadn't happened, you wouldn't be feeling that shame, right? If, if you hadn't survived that thing, you, the shame wouldn't be there. The sh- that, that level of shame and self-loathing, it would not be there. Or if your environment had been safe enough for you to move safely through the States with a supportive person or whatever, then you wouldn't feel how you feel now. Yeah. So the should haves, the shame, the blame, the self judgment. These are again. We've already mentioned this, but they're. It's really important. These come from the state that you're in. You don't just think these things about yourself. No one does. It comes from the state that you're in, or what you're taught as a kid, or whatever. But these aren't just there out of nowhere. These thoughts don't just exist in a vacuum. I don't think. Yeah. So this next one it ties in really closely with um, the last point we just made. The last point was accept that you did the best that you could in that moment. And the, this next point is accept that you are doing the best that you can right now. So in this moment, accept that you're doing the best that you can with the skill set that you have right now. And I, for me, the good news here is that, especially for anybody who's listening to this podcast, for people who are working on on improving themselves and, and becoming better people, you're continuously building your skill set, even right now, this moment. So you know, the more you're working on yourself, the the greater skill set you'll have, the the better you'll be able to handle these these situations that come up, new traumas or or repeat traumas or whatever. This is the point here. Accept that you are doing the best that you can right in this moment. And hopefully that's better than what it once was. And so I'm sure for you as well, Mercedes, when we meet with kids in therapy, they're doing, you know, drug use, um, sexually promiscuous, maybe sneaking out at nighttime, selling drugs, um, not going to school, not doing homework, all these things, right, that they're not proud of. But they're there for a reason. And that, and, or cutting, that's a big one too. The behaviors in a vacuum by themselves, no, it's not a great thing. But the behaviors are there for a reason. That's the best that they can do. I really believe it's the best that they can do to deal with the state that they're in. So it's not about the behaviors, it's about the state. I'm not going to applaud them for the, you know, cutting. That's not, I don't want people to cut. But in the moment, I, I do believe that this so far is the best solution you've come up with. Not that they planned it out and like made an outline and pros and cons and whatnot. But like when you, you come to therapy, this is what you want help with. And, you know, and cutting is typically something that people want help with that. They're not proud of it. They want to change it, but they don't know what else to do. You know, and, and that cutting 
or or drinking or um you know skipping school or whatever it is that those behaviors are the best that they've come up with to deal with the state that they are in so i think part of the changes that you can make within yourself is to accept that you are doing the best that you can right now after hearing the podcast after you know following someone on instagram that is giving some nice tips and helpful ideas and whatnot if you get a better idea I would definitely encourage you something that's not as harmful. I would absolutely encourage you to to try new things. So I'm not going to say, I, like, I know people can do better. I believe you're doing the best you can right now. But I also know that we can go one step better the next day. And that and that might be instead of cutting to hold like a, a cold, uh, like an ice cube or something like that. Or to uh, snap a rubber band on your wrist. Though that's a step forward. Well, and it's the best that you can do in that moment. And from the last moment, it's an improvement. So I believe you're coming into therapy doing the best you can. But I also believe like you're here because you know and you believe and you have some hope that, that you can do better. But that's that's the future. That's, that's the next day. So, But the step one is to accept that you are doing the best you can, at least for right now. But after that, after that acceptance, I want I invite you to also check in with the part of you that has hope that you can do better. And, and then that's where we can go. Okay. Well, what, what else can we do? So what's the next step instead of cutting? What else can we do? Cause that's what you want. You're not proud of this. You do want to do better. And there is some hope there. There, there is some hope for change here. So those are some top down approaches that really require some acceptance. A lot of those were about accepting. And I know it's not that easy, but that's where we want to end up. But we have, let's take a step further here. Some new stories for you to take on this this one kills me mercedes um the the belief that you're broken yeah or or defective or um somehow different you know you're stuck you're not broken you're not you're stuck to me that i think it's a big part of of all this is to realize that you're stuck in a defensive state it's you're not a defective human being that's but when people ask me questions and the way it's worded, I can tell like this person implicitly thinks that they are defective, that they or that they're broken, and that there's something irre- wrong with them. Thank you. Yeah, but there's not. There's not like you shifted to a different state and you got stuck there, probably based on the the amount of support in your life or the amount of safety or lack of safety. It's it is not an issue of being broken or defective, or um, Something wrong with you. That's it's the opposite. Something was right with you. You survived a situation. You dropped down, and you uh, you you just got stuck there. But not because you're broken or defective. It's just because the life you led or the, you were born into, which you didn't choose, you got stuck there. That's it. So it's not you're stuck. You're not broken. There there was a real threat. Something happened in your life. There was a real threat. You neurocepted danger or or life threat, and you dropped down the ladder. So the state that you're in is there for a reason. You got stuck just like any of us could have, or maybe are. Any of us could have done that. When people ask me questions, well, how do I heal? I don't exactly say this in response, but in my mind, I'm like, you're not broken. The question in itself says a lot. And I get what they mean. I get it. Like, I want relief. I want to feel like that. I get it. But the way it's worded tells me a lot about what you think of yourself. So when you say, how do I, how do I heal? To me, that tells me, that, that says to me that implicitly that you believe that you're somehow damaged or broken. I just, I'm not on board with that. I can't join you there. Um, so I hope that you hear this new thought of being stuck and not damaged, stuck, not broken. 
and adopt that thought. That's a new story that you can put into your head versus that you're somehow damaged or defective or whatever. And then, you know, the other one is how do I heal? How do I fix it? It's not broken. It's not broken. Your, your, your system's working. Yeah. You're yeah. Your nervous system worked. Mm -hmm. You survived. It did what it was supposed to do for you in that moment to keep you safe and functioning. Exactly. It's not broken. So, and people will you know, ask, well, how do I stimulate my vagus nerve or fix my vagus nerve or whatever? And Dr. Porters and I kind of touched on this in the interview, episode 15. Uh, but your your vagus nerve is fine. It's probably fine. Actually, I'm not a doctor. I don't want to tell you that. But it's probably fine. That's not the issue here. The vagus nerve is just the conduit. It's just the, the, um, the wire. Okay? Your vagus nerve is fine. The issue is the feedback loop, which and Dr. Porter just mentioned that. That the, the feedback loop is from your brain to your body and from your body to your brain. All the vagus nerve does is, is to send the messages. That's it. It's, it's, the, uh, it's the wire. That's it. Just like a cable wire in your home. It's getting messages from the cable provider to your devices. So your, your vagus nerve is probably fine. That's not the issue. The feedback loop, it's, it's what signals are being sent from your brain to your body and what signals from your body to your brain. That it's the signals. It's, it's, the, it's the lack of neurocepting safety. That's the issue. And, and even when you are in a safe situation, the issue is you're not neurocepting safety. Like you're not neurocepting safety. That's the issue. Not the, not the vagus. So healing, fixing the vagus nerve is, um, I know the intent of the question, but it's, it's, it's worded wrong. Your, mm-hmm. your, your wiring and stuff is probably fine. We're not rewiring anything, by the way, either. I hear that a lot. No one's going in there and like tinkering and taking stuff apart and rewiring and fusing. Like that's just, that's not happening. The issue is, Again, your wiring is probably fine. You're probably, your system's in place. The issue is that when you drop down the ladder, you lose access to the other stuff. That's all. But once you neurocept safety through the stuff we talked about last week, the stuff we're talking about this week, going to therapy, doing meditation, doing yoga, whatever the heck it is, once you neurocept safety, you will have access to those safe and social behaviors. That's all. Nothing's being rewired as far as I know. I, it's it's an, it's a matter of access, not rewiring. And if you are rewiring it, I don't know how you're measuring that. I don't know how you're showing that. <laughs> to me, it's an access we issue, not data. a. Yeah, I do, I do. Yeah. And uh, by the way, honestly, when you say rewiring, this is probably a whole other episode, but again, that that implies that you you're not put together correctly. But you are. We as all. As far are. as I know, we exactly we all are. Yeah. The fact that you are you went to a defensive state tells me you are wired appropriately. If you, like your body worked, it did what it was supposed to. You just got stuck there. That's all. And once you nurse up safety, you won't be stuck anymore. That's it. It sounds simple, but I know I know it's a, it's a lot not. more difficult than that. But that's yeah. the basic idea. That's it. On top of that, then let's let's build on that. You survived. This is an issue of survival. You survived. And I think that the fact that your body survived is amazing. You weren't defeated. You, you survived. You survived. If a gazelle is tackled by a cheetah, it shuts down. And by shutting down, that allows the opportunity to escape. By shutting down, the cheetah might get like distracted. The gazelle snaps out of it and runs away. Like it, it like it's scanning the environment still. It'll see that the cheetah is distracted by another predator. The gazelle will come out of it, shut down, and the sympathetic energy will kick in and it'll take off. So did they, in this situation, did they survive? Did the gazelle survive or was it defeated? Because you probably survived a situation where your thought, where your body thought 
it was going to die. And so it shut down, it dissociated, it went numb. And it did that to survive the situation. So when the situation was over, and maybe you got stuck there, maybe you were able to come out of it, I don't know. But the function of the shutdown served its purpose. You survived to live in you know in the next moment. So to me, you didn't, you didn't, you weren't defeated. You survived. That that that's the point is that you survived the situation, and that's why the, these defensive states are there is to increase the chances of survival. So announcements: we are going to be doing our bad therapy series next after the climbing the climbing the ladder series. So our next episode after today will be the bad therapy series and what we need from you dear listener is we need some stories of bad therapists things that you've experienced people doing strange things in therapy that should not have happened (laughs) i'm i'm horrified about what may or may not come out i really truly am but um that's the point is we want to we want to have we want to kind of bring back the transparency that needs to exist for therapy to be beneficial we both are aware that there are therapists and therapy experiences out there that are just terrible, unethical, inappropriate. Insert your adjective here. So we want to hear about it and we want to kind of, you know, dig through that. So give us your stories. You can you can upload some audio files through through email. Is that right? And then through, can you do it through Twitter too? Twitter and Instagram? The best way to do it would be to email an audio clip that you can record on your phone to um, to myself or Mercedes or Instagram has a audio DM function, which is super simple. Um, this is a clip from someone who sent me a DM on Instagram that I think really sums up really nicely why we're doing this. So let's give that a listen right now. I am so glad you're going to do a bad therapy um, series because so much of it is you know, wounded people trying to please the authority figure and like, you know, the person in control just telling you what to do. And it like seems to serve uh, both parties in, you know, feeding more of their own stories inside their own internal stories. But it doesn't get anybody well. People tell me their horror stories about therapy. and, And I'm like, I just want you to know, that's like not what it should be. That's sounds really inappropriate. I'm so sorry you had that experience, you know, so it's helpful for people to know what are the signs of like, you know, a good therapist or what are the signs that they should be looking out for of a bad therapist. Um, I know there's many shades, but still like, what are some red flag warning signs for people um, so that they can feel validated and, um, you know, not make themselves keep going back to something that's not very, good or healthy or appropriate. I'm really looking forward to the Bad Therapy podcast. The homework assignment for this week, I want, we want you to keep doing what you've been doing. Is pick something that you think would be beneficial from what you heard today. And, um, you know, re- remind yourself of it. Start using it if, you know, reminding yourself that you're normal would help you. Then, you know, every day, just remind yourself that you're normal. Um, you can try using an image if, if a thought goes into your head that is disturbing you and you want to notice it or observe it, give it an image. Um, if you if you have some hope within yourself and you are having trouble tapping into it and um, really owning it and noticing it, give it an image. Maybe it's a potted plant. Maybe it's a little seed. 
Maybe it's a little uh, cute little bunny. I have no idea. Whatever you want, give it a, give it a name. So pick something that you heard today that you think would be helpful and practice it, please. Mercedes and I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode in the Trauma Nerds Community Forum. It's the non-therapeutic forum for the Polyvagal Podcast listeners to discuss the episodes with each other. We hope this episode has had a direct and positive impact on you. If you have a question about anything, feel free to reach out to one of us. We have our contact info in the description where you can also find a link to more detailed show notes. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye, guys. (laughs) Do people talk to their brains? Sometimes. I do. (laughs) Hey, brain. Wake up. (laughs) What does it say back? Not much, usually. Kind of a... (laughs) Kind of a woman of few words kind of a brain I've got going on. <laughs>